Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, get your Bibles out. We're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're in a series called Dare to be Different, Living Your Life on Purpose. And I helped everybody last week, right? Okay, here we go. I taught you how to pray. And in fact, at the end of the service, do you remember the prayer I prayed with you? Oh, thank you. That was Laura. It's always good to have your spouse on board with you in that moment. It was a simple prayer. Now I lay me... That's as good as last week. Stop. Here we go. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should wake before I die, I pray the Lord to show me why. Why, why, why? Living our life on purpose, understanding that God has a call and a destiny on our lives, that there is no ordinary life. We are extraordinary people because we serve an extraordinary God. And if anything, the book of Nehemiah lifts us up from the dusty pages of Scripture and history and brings it in and breathes new life into us because we realize that God has a purpose for your life and for my life. And so we want to explore this. Nehemiah, we know, was he lived back in around 450 B.C. He resided in the Persian Empire. He served the king of Persia. He was cupbearer to the king. In one of those ordinary days, some of his friends came back, probably his brother, back from his ancestral homeland, Jerusalem. And he asked them about the conditions back home, and they told him, how desperate it was, that the walls were torn down, that the gates are burned out, that it was just a desolate, deplorable state in which the city was. And he was so gripped, so compelled by this, that it stirred a holy discontent in his own spirit. And that really generated the whole discussion that we had of what it is to begin to live your life on purpose. But for Nehemiah, that was a defining moment because it would change everything about his life. And I shared with you, how do you know how to live your life on purpose? And I said, identify a need that resonates with you. Seek to understand God's perspective on that need. Move forward with humility and then fully embrace your life purpose. It's all there in chapter 1. It's summed up in such a beautiful way that when we read this, there is this unmistakable sense that what Nehemiah did is something that we can do. And for a lot of people, if we would come alive or wake up to what God is doing in our lives, we would discover that there's a destiny in front of us if we want to step into it. And some of you are already living your destiny. I love watching what Ted just shared on the, on the screen. It would have been easy for Ted and Kim just to stay status quo and move along in their ministry role. Comfortable, salary, position, status, everything about it was the right thing. But seven, eight years ago, suddenly God just taps on the shoulder and goes, no, 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 no. I'm preparing you for something new now, and I want you to step out. And so they embrace that opportunity to allow God's holy discontent to move them into a new trajectory. And I think it's true for all of us, isn't it? I shared with you last week a little quote from Mark Twain. There are two most important days of your life. Remember them? The day you were born and the day you discovered why you were born. 
And most of us, we've got the first one down. No problem. I know the day that I was born. We tell everybody about it because we expect gifts on it, don't we? Come on, you want gifts on your birthday. I know you do. But what about the day that you discover why you were born? That moment in your life where everything begins to resonate in your soul and in your spirit, and you begin to feel the pulsation of God's working in your heart because you go, this is who I am. Everything about me is coming together because I know now how God has created me, why God has created, what God has created me to do. And the lovely part of this whole thing was last week I shared with you, and I laid it right out there, and I said, Tommy Barnett used to say this all the time, if you see a need, meet it. So I've got to tell you a true story. And No offense, you know, this is totally in love. So I love our church community. But at the end of the second service, I go out to the Atrium Cafe. We have three services on Sunday. So while you're all off eating lunch, I'm still starving. I'm just sharing that with you right now. But I went to the back to the second service, at the end of the second service, the Atrium Cafe. Sue Ann, I saw you in here somewhere. There you are, way at the back. Sue Ann and I, we we try to figure out who drinks the most caffeine on Sunday, and we keep each other energized. So I went back and I said, hey, Sue Ann, here we go. Let's welcome our guests and say hi to everybody. And as we were standing there, a lady came up to me and she said, Pastor Doug, this is last Sunday, Pastor Doug, there's a need we have in our church and we should do something about it. And I thought, you're kidding me. You just sat through the service and you're coming to me and telling me there's a need in the church and you're going to ask me to do something about it. So I looked at her and I just said, "Um, which service are you attending? Are are you just coming out or are you on your way in? She goes, no, no, I'm just on my way in. I'm coming to the third service. And I said, great, then don't do anything right now. Go to the service and at the end of the third service, come back and meet me right here at the same place and ask me the same question again. So we went through the whole service. She came back at the end of the third service. She goes, okay, I get it. I'm not going to talk to you about this. I need to do something about it. Isn't it great when God shows us a need? We love to go to the pastor and go, you should fix this. This is your job. But we begin to realize that Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says that our role is to equip and empower and prepare and release people into ministry. And God is tapping people on the shoulder. And this whole past week, I've been getting emails from people. Some have said, Pastor, thank you. I have woken up after 20 years of being asleep. Others are sharing what's going on in their world about opportunities that God has given them. Friends, this is all we need to do is live in tune to the Spirit, hear what He wants to say. It doesn't mean that every week we're living on the mountaintop, but it means every week we're living out our destiny that God is calling us to, and that we can live our lives on purpose. So the big question that we have here is if we know that God is calling us into our destiny to live our lives on purpose, how do you turn dreams into destiny? I would venture to say a lot of us in the room that we have dreams of things that we would love to do. Some of you, this goes back years ago, God birthed something in your spirit and in your heart, and you've been rolling that over, and you've hidden that away, and it's like a treasure, and you're holding on to that, and that pearl is getting refined, and you're wondering, how do I turn this dream into a destiny? You see, dreams without action are the substance of daydreamers. But dreams with action are the substance of visionaries. So if you just have dreams, but you never act on them, you're just a daydreamer. But if you have a dream and you put some action into that dream, you're a visionary. And visionaries operate at every sphere of our society. It's not about what our society says is the accolades that we hand out. It's the fulfillment of the purpose for which God has called me at every stage of my life, whether I'm 6 years old, 16 years old, 26 years old, 66 years old, or 96 years old. 
So I want to help us all together today to figure out how do we turn our dreams into destiny. You ready to go? Four of us have dreams. The rest of us listen in because I'm going to share it with you. Get your Bibles out. Go to Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's find out what Nehemiah did. We're going to do this together. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, this is Nehemiah, and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Well, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, Well, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. I want to share with you four steps to turning your dreams into destiny. Get your notes out. Get your apps out. Share this in your growth groups. Begin to pray this through. Some of you are different stages on this journey, but let's see God help us together to live our lives on purpose. Number one, write it out. Step out in courageous faith. If you're going to move into your destiny, if you want to take the dream that's in your heart, you have to step out into courageous faith. There was a gap of approximately four months from the time that Nehemiah had heard about the condition of Jerusalem until the text that we just read where he's serving the wine to the king. He's had four months to ponder, reflect, and think about what God has put in his heart. Isn't it interesting? Often when we feel like we heard the voice of God, somehow we believe we need to act on that in the immediate moment rather than allowing God to seed it deeper into our spirit and prepare us for it. So for four months, there's a delay. Now, in his situation, here's what I, I came to really appreciate and understand when I read the text. For a lot of us, a delay can erode our confidence. It can weaken our resolve. It can even undermine our courage. But it didn't do that for Nehemiah. Because when you know God has spoken to you, you hold that in your spirit and you begin to watch for opportunities in order to be able to share that at the right time. And when the right time comes, here's a man who stepped out in courageous faith. There's a a little sidebar. If you're taking notes, just something you want to write in your notes and get into your groups and talk about this. I love, we talked about breakthrough prayers in our last series. Did you notice when I read the text this morning that when the king asked him about why the countenance of his face was so sad, what did he do? He did not speak to the king first. It said, I prayed to the God of heaven. Sometimes our best, most effective prayers are very strategic. They're very incisive. Just before we speak, we pause and we go, Oh God, may the words that I speak and may the thoughts that I have be the thoughts that are your thoughts. I'm one of those people who tends to speak first and then pray, oh God, can I have those words back again? Anybody else like that in the room? If we move rashly, we miss opportunity. But if we pause and pray strategically, God opens up divine opportunity. Now watch what happens when he prayed. That's just a sidebar. That's a free one because i got two more hours for you. So there's that opportunity right there. The second thing, Nehemiah says to the king in there, he said, if I have found favor with the king. I reflected on this this week, and I got thinking, does the character of my life in the way that I work at my job earn me the credibility to ask for the impossible from those that I serve? Oh, your job, your family, whatever, your relationships. 
Do I live with such compelling character that when I make a request that seems bigger than anybody would dream possible to fill, that they would consider my character and go, because of who you are, I will open up the doors of opportunity. And the king didn't even hesitate when Nehemiah brought his request. Friends, you take those two thoughts away, you just had a $500 service, right? Okay, $499. That's the way we'd market it on the internet. It's worth it right there to learn how do we pray strategically and how do we earn the favor of people around us. Go back into this. So look at this. Nehemiah, he reminds me that the only true obstacle to fulfilling a God-inspired destiny is myself. The only true obstacle to fulfilling my God-inspired destiny is myself. And for a lot of us, if we look at what it is that God is calling us to, we often get in the way of fulfilling what God has put the dream in our heart. I came across this quote. It says, the only person who can stop you from becoming what God intends for your life is you. So I love his honesty, and I love his disclosure. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. Look in your Bibles. So Nehemiah says to the king, So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad and why are you, when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. I am so glad for this man's honesty. The NLT says, I was terrified. Have you ever been afraid of anything? Interactive church. It's okay to raise your hands. Yeah. I love the fact that Nehemiah, one of the strongest, most powerful leaders, greatest visionary that we can read about, he goes, I was freaking out in the presence of the king because he knew that he was putting his life on the line. But look what it says. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad? And he goes on to explain the situation. Nehemiah wasn't afraid or embarrassed to admit his own shortcomings. He was okay with admitting that he was afraid. He didn't put on any false bravado. He didn't disguise his true feelings. He was not, a willing, he was not willing to allow fear to undermine his faith. That even though he was afraid, and he tells us that he was, he still spoke out and he said, God, I know I can do this and here's what I need. Listen, I don't know what the dream is God put in your heart, but it takes a tremendous amount of courage to turn your dream into destiny. Fear can immobilize your dreams. Fear of opposition, fear of uncertainty, fear of inexperience, fear of the unknown, fear of the why me, the insecurity of, well, why would God choose me to do this and not somebody else? But you see, you're uniquely who you are because God wired you up that way. And God wants you to step into that dream and fulfill that dream. But most of us will stop right now and we're going to just kind of pause and we're going to slide that over to the side and we're, let somebody else step into this. Have you ever embraced an opportunity that absolutely terrified you to your core? This story, when I read Nehemiah, he reminds me that if the dreams that we embrace don't infuse a little bit of fear, they probably didn't originate with God. Because if you can achieve what God has put in your heart to do with your own power and your own capabilities, it's not a God-sized vision or a God-sized dream. You need to have God to fulfill the dream that he puts in your heart. We settle for far less than what I think God is calling us to. But the fear that we feel should just move us and motivate us to step out in courageous faith. And that's exactly what me Nehemiah has done here. Nehemiah 2.5, he said this, So I answered the king, And if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I 
can rebuild it. I love this. He goes, King, if, if you've seen anything about me in my life, then let me be the one that can go. The king could have easily dispatched anyone else he wanted. He could have sent his own forces into the land, but he says, let me be the one, because he was the one, Nehemiah was the one that held the vision and the dream in his heart. He dared be, to appear before the king with a saddened countenance, and he dared to ask the king for a ridiculous amount of support. In fact, if you read the whole text, he said, do you mind giving me papers which would give me safe travel through the land? And hey, by the way, while we're at it, do you mind giving me a blank check to the kingdom resources? Because I would love to rebuild the walls, have a little bit of timber, and if you read the whole thing, and he goes, and I need a place to stay when I'm there, so I'd like to build a house. And the king goes, you bet. See, I don't think we ask enough. I think that we cower a little bit in fear, and we hesitate because if God's given us the dream, then let's believe that God has the power and the provision to enable the dream, the dream to become a reality. So learn to pray big prayers and learn to step out in courageous faith and trust God because God can do the impossible in our lives. One of the surveys that was done a number of years ago focused entirely on people over the age of 95. Uh, we have a few. Now, I believe in the room, anybody over 95 today? 100, correct? Amazing. 100 years. I'm, I'm just a young pup. Isn't that great? <laughs> and you're still dreaming. I know you are because we talk outside. I love that. And Mom Forrester, what are we doing now? We're pushing close to 100, right, Mom? So here we go. Here's the survey. Yeah, absolutely. The survey was done. So the rest of us, we're all kids in the room. So we just, yeah, now we got a little energy to go. Survey of people over the age of 95, simply ask them, if you could live your life all over again, what would you do differently? Top three responses coming out of the group was this, I would risk more in my life. That entire group of people just went, I played conservative. I would just risk more. I would take more time to reflect if I could do it over again. And I would do more things that would live on after I die. Every one of us understands something that we can make our way all the way through our life and we can live below the radar and end our life going, looking back, saying, I wished I would have. Or we can choose today to embrace the dreams that God has put in our heart and to pursue the destiny and step out in courageous faith and go, I'm going to risk more, I'm going to reflect more often, and everything in my life is going to leave a legacy behind me. That's the call that we have. The only thing more risky than courageous faith is complacent fear. The only thing more risky than courageous faith is complacent fear. 74 times in the Bible it says, do not be afraid. Over 10 times, it says, be strong, be courageous. The Bible calls us into a life of courageous faith. If you want to turn your dreams into destiny, look at Nehemiah. You have to step out in courageous faith. Number two, write it down in your notes. You need to own the vision personally. So when he makes this big, audacious, bold ask of the king, and he man manages to garner the letters of support and he gets safe passage... He makes his way to Jerusalem. We know that that journey would take him somewhere between the three to four months to get there. But when he gets there, 
He's got this dream that is pulsating in his spirit. The favor of God is upon his life. Everything has led up to this very moment. He's enjoying the protection of the king. He's got the provision of the resource of the king. And now he's in the land of his ancestors, and he's ready to do what God had put on his heart to do. But I want you to notice what he does first. In your Bibles, go to Nehemiah chapter 2, and let's go down to verse 11. It says this, So I went to Jerusalem... And after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. And I had not told anyone what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. So Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, and the very first thing that he does is he stays below the radar. He doesn't get out in the public marketplace. He doesn't begin to share his dream. He doesn't start to to sort of celebrate the reason that God has brought him into the environment. In fact, he stays a little bit below the radar, and then he sets up a reconnaissance mission where he can go around and investigate personally, and he chooses even to do it at night so that nobody else really knows what he's up to because he wanted to understand the condition of the city of Jerusalem and the people that were living there. So often what we want to do is chase our dreams, but we rely on secondhand information or word of mouth. But the most important thing that we can do is learn how to own the vision personally, the dream personally. You have to get into the trenches and recognize what's taking place before you can make a difference. We see that in our society. That's exactly what Ted Brown was talking about in his little video there. We can see the plight and the need of those living in our city, but unless you get into the trenches and you actually begin to own it personally, you can't change it. Because people want to follow people who are actually, their hands are dirty, their hands are engaged, their hands are working, they're laboring around the very same thing. So here's Nehemiah. Look at verse 16 in, in your Bibles. It says, The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I had said nothing to the Jews or to the priests or to the nobles or to the officials or any others who would be doing the work. The hardest thing you have to do when God gives you a dream and you take steps of courageous faith is to hold that dream close to your heart until you own it so deeply and so personally that when you speak about it, it's yours. Because people want to know, do you believe in this dream yourself? He spent as much time as he could getting the information that he needed, and he did not share his information prematurely. It got me thinking, by the way. I wonder if Joseph's story would have had a slightly different outcome if he would have learned how to keep the dream that God had given him closer to his heart than to share it with his brothers and creating the enmity and the the envious spirit that ended up with his life being thrown into captivity. Now, God uses everything for his purpose. But I wonder if that had been a little bit of a premature sharing because even his father would rebuke him for sharing that vision and that dream. God gives us dreams, but owning them and keeping them close to our heart is very, very important. So he owned it personally. Nehemiah wanted to make sure that he would not ask people to embrace a vision that he was not personally vested in. People will not follow daydreamers, but they will follow the dreams of visionaries. And the reason we know this is because Martin Luther King Jr., when he stood and said, I have a dream, everybody knew that he owned that personally and they were willing to follow him. How powerful it is when God puts something in your heart to do that you step out in courageous faith and you don't just begin to share it, but you actually own it personally. Number three in your notes, write this down. If you want to turn your dream into destiny, whatever it is that God's stirring in your heart, share the vision selectively. Share the vision selectively. This step is of such paramount importance 
There's nothing like the experience of when God puts something in your heart that you know is specifically for you. And when we get good news or we get a glimpse of what it is that God wants us to do, there's a temptation that we have that we want to run out and we want to tell everybody about this news. But we have to guard what God has given us Because to share it prematurely is to actually run the risk of destroying the vision that God has given to us. Where do we see this? I see it on the night that the angel visited Mary. And when the angel told Mary exactly what was going to take place, Mary didn't go to the public marketplace, by the way, and go, hey, want to hear my dream? Because that wasn't going to be a great dream for the public people to hear about. But Mary would go off to Elizabeth and share it very, very selectively in a place that she had somebody who she, she could be accountable to, somebody who would pray with her, believe in her, nurture her, and grow her. And I see the same story when it comes back into the life of Nehemiah. He demonstrated remarkable maturity about handling this vision, this dream that God had given him. He invited a selective group of people to whom he could vision cast the plans that God had placed in his heart. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Go down to verse 16. Here's what we read. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or any of the others who would be doing the work. Now watch this. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God that was on me and what the king had said to me. Leaders and visionaries always know that public announcements are always vetted through a selected group of people. You want to know that what you're sharing can gain confidence. You want to know that what God has put in your heart has credibility, that other people can authenticate it. It's with this smaller group of people that there's an opportunity to build ownership and momentum. They are the ones that can lean in. They are the ones that can help you actually move people towards us. It's a leadership principle. We talk about this at the Global Leadership all the time. How do you get from here to there? So you know what there looks like. And there could be an opportunity that is just stellar in its outcome. But here is either a resistance or here is a challenge or here is a problem. And if you just get up in front of the public and say, this is what we're going to do, you're going to face incredible resistance. But you start with a smaller selective group of people and you begin to share the vision and the dream of what God is doing in your heart. And for some of you, you need to hear this today because God's put something in your heart and you need to get a council of wisdom around you and begin to share this and talk about it with them and say, this is what I feel that God is sharing with me and calling me to do and let them pray into that story and their insight and their wisdom can actually lean lean in and give you more credibility. And as you begin to move this, you'll begin to see God's hand of favor upon you. Nehemiah did the same thing. He gathered all these people around him and he began to share with them and said, you see the condition. You know how the walls are torn down. You know the desolate and the disgrace that we're living in the middle of. See, when people get a hold of that vision, they begin to share it with others. And when others begin to hear it from credible sources, they start going, they're right. We have to do something about this. Do you know we do the very same thing? I've done that in leadership here in the church. A number of years ago, our staff and our board, we were praying. The church was growing. God's favor was on us. And we were just enjoying new people coming in, helping them find their way back to God. But we were facing a little bit of a crisis moment. 
because we had two services. The services were full. Our facilities were overrun, and we were trying to prayerfully determine what do we do. So while we were praying and discerning what God was calling us to, the opportunity existed that we could just raise the roof on the building, add some balconies, blow out a few walls, or sell the entire thing and relocate to another location and build a much much bigger uh, facility. And we prayed about that and we talked about that. And there were a couple of challenges that came. Number one, you would have to give me $30 million. Is that a problem? Not for you, but for Laura, yes, it was. Okay. We would have to raise huge kingdom resource to be able to do that. The second challenge with that is we realized that even if we built a bigger building to optimally reach people far from God, we're still asking them to drive further and further and further to come in to be a part of what we're doing together. And we know that if you're reaching your friends and your families and your neighbors for Jesus, you might be willing to drive for 30 or 40 minutes. They're likely not willing to make that same drive for the same extended period of time. So we started to pray about, well, what would it look like if maybe we embraced a new model of church? What if, rather than having one campus, we started to pray about having additional expressions, campuses where people could actually find their way back to God underneath the banner of Portico, but located more strategically and optimally in communities in closer proximity to where your friends are living? And that was a journey that started with a smaller group of people prayerfully vetted through, looking at the rationality of it, looking at the cost of it, investigating, could this be a way to go? And then eventually bringing that vision up to the members and then eventually out to the church community. See, it's the pathway of from here to there. And you always share the vision selectively. Because here's what would have happened had I got up on a Sunday morning not told anybody what I wanted to do, not even the board, and I stood up and I said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to change the model of church completely. We're going multi-campus. And every one of you would have gone, what? And the board would have gone, Doug, are you free tomorrow? We'd like to meet with you. And you would have a brand new leader today, wouldn't you? But moving forward in the dreams and destiny that God has given you, all we're looking at is look at Nehemiah, stepped out in courage, owned the vision personally, He shared it selectively because he understood the importance of it. Number four, write this down into your notes. Be resilient when facing resistance. Be resilient when you face resistance. When your dreams are becoming your destiny, you can always be guaranteed that you are going to encounter resistance. And if Nehemiah did then I know that I will. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19, we read this. When Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem heard about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Nothing can be more debilitating and discouraging than the voice of resistance. Nothing can bring a dream into a fast halt then voices of resistance. And listen, there will always be the voices of malcontent, those who are willing and ready to go to extraordinary lengths to impede and even crush your dreams. You know this to be true. There are always people around us. You tell them something positive, they'll give you 10 reasons of the negative. You share an opportunity, they'll see all of the problems that are loaded into the opportunity. There are always people like that. And there will always be people like that. You know this, right? But you have to be resilient 
when you face resistance. Don't allow fear and resistance to freeze you in your dream. It it should free you to realize that if you're facing resistance, you're trying to do something that's probably going to change people's lives. And when you're doing that, people are going to resist you. There will always be the voices of those who are going to try to discourage you. Look at the words that Nehemiah's opponents used against him. They said this, What is this that you are doing? Questioning his motives and ambitions. In other words, hey, look, it's been this way for 90 years. Why are you messing around with the condition of the city? There will always be people that look back. Why are you changing things? It's been good the way that it was. Why are you making it different now? So here's that voice that could have been discouraging for him. Here's the second thing they threw out at him. Are you rebelling against the king? They questioned his allegiance and his loyalty. They actually drove to the spirit of the man to go, okay, so you want to fix the walls and the gates, but you're undermining the king. I think you're trying to distort the loyalty And they were questioning the sincerity of why he was doing what he was doing. We know that the Bible says that the words, that the words we speak, they have the power of life and death. And that words can crush spirits, it could decimate dreams. They can be more demanding and more debilitating than even physical opposition. Here's a question. How many times has the dream in your spirit been crushed by simple words? How many times was the voice of a loved one, a coworker, a boss, a supervisor, a church leader, when somebody spoke and immediately you just felt like, oh, and you felt your spirit wither just a little bit. See, resistance is going to come in all kinds of forms. But Nehemiah teaches me something, that we need to be resilient when we face resistance. Because if we know that God has given us the dream and we know that God has called us to fulfill the dream, then God will equip us and God will protect us as we go through our journey into this. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. Look how he answers. And I answered them by saying this. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. These people didn't even have a vested interest in the outcome. And Nehemiah goes, you can speak all of you want, but I know that God has put the purpose and the dream in my heart. And no matter what resistance comes against me, I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to stand firm. I had a professor when I was in college, and I did pastoral ministry. And as we're going through our pastoral ministry class, we're all eager. We're young students. We're planning to go into the ministry. We thought everybody who attended church was saints, you know, because that's what the Bible says. But we realized they weren't all perfected saints. And so in class one day, he was teaching at the front of the class, and I'll never forget what he said. His name was Gordon Franklin. And he said, listen to me carefully. He said, when you first come to a church and you begin your new assignment, always remember that the first ones who smile and shake your hands may be the very first ones who will also turn and stab you when you bring change. I was like, no, not the churches I go to. That would never happen, right? Well, I was giving you an opportunity here. That would never happen, right? Yeah. He, he just went on to explain this. He said, early adopters are not always your long-term supporters. That's a softer way of saying that. That people who sign in at the first part of it, they go, this is a great idea. And then they start to see the cost 
and the demands and the investment. And they go, who came up with this idea in the first place? And they'll turn their voice against you. And Nehemiah understood something. If you want to live your life on purpose, then dream the dream that God has given you. But more importantly, put action to the dream. Otherwise, you're just a daydreamer. You have to step out in courageous faith. You need to own it personally. You need to share it selectively. And you need to dig down and find resilience. Because some of you, God's calling you to some great things. Some of you are going to be serving in the marketplace. Some of you are going to start brand new businesses. Some of you are going to begin kingdom adventures. You're going to generate revenue for God's kingdom purposes. Others of you, God's going to call you into vocational ministry. And the voices around you are going to come up and put opposition in your way. But if you hold on to the fact that God gave you the dream, God then will provide for the dream. And he will clear the way. So the dream becomes a reality. Amen? Lord, this morning, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you that we can learn and grow and share together. And for Nehemiah, who inspires us, that, Father, we can live our lives on purpose. We can dare to be different. So today we choose to listen to the whisper of your spirit. For every one of us, we're uniquely gifted, uniquely wired. So may we come to understand what it is you're calling us to do. For some, we may be partnering with others and becoming resource leaders and servants into a vision. For others, you may be calling them out to champion brand new visions that are kingdom adventures that are greater than anything we could have ever dreamed of. But Lord, you're putting it on their heart today and I pray that they would have the courage to put action into the dream and to become visionary with it. And for those that are in the middle of a journey, I pray God if they're facing resistance, Maybe it's raising a family in a secular society. They're feeling overwhelmed. I pray, God, that you put courage back in their hearts to know that your word prevails and will stand strong forever and that, God, you will be our resource and our equipper. May we together stand strong. May we move forward knowing that your kingdom has come on earth as we partner with you in your plan and your purposes. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.